Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Welcome back to another edition of Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. David Lake joined, as always, by Gabby Urrutia here on a Monday podcast. The Hurricanes are off today from practicing here uh, a week in, or I guess six days in. Basically, first week's over. Um, and so we're here to kind of provide maybe a state of the union slash thoughts coming out of the first week of camp uh, again. This is all very fluid because things change once the pads come on and once scrimmages take place. Uh, but just some of our first position, we'll, we'll, first uh, impressions, we'll go position by position uh, and kind of share our thoughts, etc. Um, but to start here, Gabby, you know, I feel like uh, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about just global, big picture college football thoughts and and opinions or uh you know where i where i personally think maybe things are going here with with realignment because on friday the sport uh blew up in a in a lot of ways with essentially the pac-12 dying um because of oregon and washington moving on to the big 10 joining of course usc and ucla which was announced as going to happen last year. Uh, and then the Big Ten swooped in. They already added Colorado, but then they're adding a few others, Arizona, Arizona State, et cetera. So uh, the, the Pac-12 is done. Those schools that are left in the dark in, in the Pac-12, like Cal and Stanford, I have no idea how they are going to be able to continue, uh, you know, with much with fewer resources coming in uh, in terms of the TV dollars, uh, but this is unfortunately where things are heading in college football. It's definitely becoming more of a nationalized sport rather than a regionalized sport. And let's just start here, Gabby. I know for me, like I don't like it. I don't like these changes. I get why they have to happen. Um, it's not going to impact my love of college football. Uh, but would I prefer it to be, uh, would I prefer conferences to be like regionalized entities that feature, uh, you know, rivalries, regional rivalries, historic rivalries, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, I would prefer that. Um, but again, I think the games will be fine. I honestly, like, I think college football the games get higher and higher and higher level with each passing year. And so I think that's only going to continue. Um, so the games, the product, all that's going to be continue to be fun. And I'm going to be a fan. Uh, but in terms of like maybe the soul of the sport, it is in my opinion, kind of losing the soul 
of the sport with all these changes. How do you view it? Cause you're a younger guy. Yeah. You're younger than me. Um, I think for older people, change is always harder. And, you know, I think the older you are, the less you like all these changes. I'm curious just how you digest all this. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm still trying to figure out exactly like how I feel about this conference realignment. I, I just think that college football is just becoming more professionalized, if that makes sense. Like, I feel like it's operating more like a professional organization. Like, you know, again, you talked about like the national, like the nationalization of college football, you know, really, I mean, packed, I mean, USC and Oregon and Washington playing in the big 10, like, you know, it just, it feels like it's more of like a professional model where it doesn't really matter where you're located. We'll figure it out. And, uh, you know, this is just our bottom line, you know, players are making money. Like it just feels like it's just trending more towards maybe that professional sort of model where it's just like, again, the bottom line is the bottom line. Uh, it, I mean, I don't know. I think it's kind of, it's just weird. Like to me, it's just, I mean, you're used to just accustomed to the pack, you know, the, the five conferences, the power five conferences, and now it's just all different. Um, I think it's just going to be kind of a transition. And right now it just feels kind of messy and it feels kind of strange, but I think once the dust settles and everything just kind of, you know, just, it kind of just goes like, kind of like what you're saying. I think once the games are being played, like we're going to watch football, right? Like I'm going to watch football. Like if call, if I don't care if USC is playing Iowa or whatever, like, like I'm going to watch the games. And I think once like there's once the ball snapped and once the pads are popping, I mean, it's, it's just going to be college football. It's going to be the same old college football that, you know, I've always loved. And uh, you know, that's really just, I guess what I'm looking forward to. Like, as long as, college football is being played on Saturdays in the falls on campuses. And, uh, you know, all this stuff kind of continues to just be true. Like I guess the heart of the sport, like obviously you lose, like we said, a little bit of the soul, you lose some of those maybe regional rivalries, but, um, I still think we're going to see a lot of good football games. We're going to see a lot of new matchups, which is fun. We're going to see a bunch of teams that have like, I probably haven't played in 60 years that are going to start playing each other maybe a little bit more often. And again, I think some of the, I think it's like, almost like like i don't know like a bowl season where it's just like oh man these two teams have like never played each other and it's kind of just yeah. watched it's cool to watch these two teams go at it and so i think we're gonna see a little bit more of that of just teams that typically don't match up match up and i think there's going to be something fun and interesting about that maybe some new rivalries kind of you know ignite or whatever the case is we'll see um but yeah and i i think it gives a lot of schools the ability to kind of recruit maybe more nationally like you know i think if you're oregon or washington you have to feel like you can kind of come to the east coast and recruit a kid now right or just go to the midwest get some guys usc expands their recruiting footprint uh so i think from a recruiting standpoint i think it makes a lot of these brands maybe a little bit more national which should be interesting to see how that kind of goes but yeah you know I i'm just kind of waiting and seeing like i don't really have any strong opinions on it either way like I think it's just going to take some getting used to and, you know, we'll kind of see how it goes from there. But I just think this is the way things are going and you can either fight it or you can just be like, all right, let's just kind of let's see where this thing kind of heads. And I think for for guys like you and me, right, like we're Miami guys, uh, Miami's the school we support. I think we might be outliers compared to a, a lot of college football fans, because let's let's be honest, like and I'm not saying this in shade with Miami, but Miami was independent for a long time. Uh, then they were in the big East for, I don't know, 10 to 15 years. And now it's been the ACC for close to 20 years. Um, and so really there's no like crazy rivalries outside of Florida state. And so I think like from a Miami standpoint, it would hit home the most if 
that Florida State game got messed with, which, you know, I think that is, that is absolutely on the table, depending on how things go with uh, the realignment of the ACC conference, whenever that does happen. It's going to happen when, whether that's, you know, this week or five years from now, it's going to happen. So will that rivalry remain intact? From a Miami standpoint, I think that's where it's going to hit home the most. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, you look at like the Pac-12 is the conference that's been around for a hundred plus years. And so dissolving those rivalries, I think for those guys, it is weird. And I think the same would be said, said of the Big Ten if that if stuff happened there and the SEC, et cetera. But you're right. We've been going down this road. And, and for me, Gabby, when I look at this, you know, I think last Friday hit it home. And, and I kind of said this at this time last year. But if we're being real about what this is all about, this is all about TV networks making changes to the sport. It, it's conferences that are being run by TV networks. You have two major conferences right now, one controlled in you know, one controlled by Fox in the Big Ten, one controlled by e- e- uh, ESPN uh, in the SEC. I just think moving forward, this is how I'm just going to view all of this realignment talk. Um, it it kind of boils down to what TV executives want to do. And, and through the prism of the ACC, look, we all know, the grant of rights is a big issue until 2036, um, et cetera, et cetera. But there is a lot of implications on the line here. If you view this through the prism of a proxy war between Fox and ESPN, um, because live sports is arguably the hottest commodity in entertainment. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. It's appointment television. And that is pretty much the only appointment television that really exists still. And so there, that is a valuable media commodity. So what does that mean for the ACC? If you're viewing this through the lens of a media war between Fox and ESPN, um, you know, look, ESPN owns the SEC, the ACC, and the majority of the Big 12. So 60% of the Big 12. Um, I think there's no doubt that right now the SEC plays the best brand of football and that conference is the deepest, um, you know, essentially it is quote unquote, the best minor league football league. Um, if we're being honest, right. So the SEC soon is going to add Texas and Oklahoma. It's going to be a 14, 14 team league, 16 team. So it's Alabama, Georgia, Texas, Oklahoma, Florida. LSU, Tennessee, Texas A&M, Auburn, Mississippi, Mississippi State, Arkansas, Vanderbilt, South Carolina, Kentucky, and Missouri. Um, Those are some big-time schools and some passionate fan bases, no doubt. But if you're viewing this thing through through the lens of a TV executive, I think the SEC is still a regionalized conference um, for the most part. And again, we might not like how college football is becoming more of a nationalized sport, but this is where things are going. And so when you look at the Big Ten 
and how they are setting up their future. They're setting their conference up to be a coast-to-coast entity. So now they have the West Coast, USC, UCLA, Oregon, Washington. They join programs like Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Maryland on the East Coast, Rutgers on the East Coast. Uh, Of course, Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Nebraska, Northwestern. Uh, again, we not we might not like the regionality or how college sports is moving away from being a regionality a regional entity. Uh, but I think if you think like a TV executive, the Big Ten now owns the marketplaces in in college sports in Los Angeles, Seattle, Chicago, New York, Washington D.C., Detroit, Philadelphia. So it is, it is truly a coast-to-coast conference now. And I say all this to just make a point of, you know, I think it's a matter of time again before the ACC starts breaking apart unless something unforeseen changes, right? Um, and so that means these teams like Clemson and Florida State, I think also eventually Miami, North Carolina, Virginia, um, They are going to leave to either the SEC or the Big Ten. And so from an ESPN standpoint, I think it comes down to can the SEC, can ESPN slash the ACC allow for Fox slash the Big Ten to scoop up teams like Clemson, Florida State, Miami, North Carolina, And so from an ESPN slash SEC perspective, can ESPN make it easier for teams to leave the ACC grant of rights to go to the SEC? If that's not on the table, and I understand that if that happened, that opens up a huge can of worms. But if that's not on the table, then ACC teams will be leaving for the Big Ten within the next five years. And if that happens, the Big Ten is going to own the four corners of the United States and uh, have a little bit of a footprint in the Southeast. So if you add Miami, Florida State, Clemson, North Carolina, hypothetically, to the Big Ten, I'm to me, Gabby, that's a stronger conference. Yeah, it would be it would be pretty big time if the Big Ten were able to add those four programs along with what they've already just done. And it's a national conference. It, it would be the top uh, minor league of football conference. I think, too, it's a matter of time, you know, down the road. I'm not saying like anytime soon, but I think it's a matter of time before Notre Dame joins the Big Ten. So if you can see foresee Notre Dame joining the Big Ten, again, this is a legit national conference that will be worth a ton of money. And again, the point in all this is this is how TV executives are thinking. They want to own live sports. They want to own football. They want to have the best football leagues you can you can have because they print money. Um, and so just moving forward, right? I mean, look, there's a lot more details and fine print and things that have to get figured out. And it's not an easy thing to for these ACC teams to get out of the ACC. Uh, but I think this whole thing boils down to TV. And... Um, you know, there is uncertainty with all that. But we know this August 15th deadline of this year is a big one in terms of our ACC teams going to challenge 
the league and get out by next year. There was a lot of rumors earlier this month that the Big Ten was going to add Florida State, Clemson, Oregon, and Washington. They're halfway there. And so will that other half drop by August 15th? We'll find out. I am still a little skeptical things can happen that quickly from the ACC perspective. Um, but again, if I'm the way I'm viewing all this realignment stuff now is basically just a Fox and ESPN war to have the very best college football conference. Um, and so that's how I'm going to be viewing this. And again, I think that only highlights how the ACC is not long for this world. Um, uh, again, unless unforeseen changes happen and ESPN comes to the table and wants to renegotiate, um, the ACC is in trouble. So that's all I got to say about that. Did that, that was a little bit of a rant, Gabby. Did any of that uh, make sense to you? I, all of it made sense. I mean, I think it's, I think it's just fascinating, like just the way that this can kind of go. Cause I mean, I, I'm just thinking about the idea of a big tech that gets that corners a ton of just major markets. You mentioned LA, you mentioned Seattle, uh, you got Chicago again, New York. If they add Notre Dame, Notre Dame's just an everywhere brand. Like, P, P, like, like more people are watching Notre Dame football than a lot of other, you know, than a lot of other schools. And then you get my, you add Miami in there, and then of course Florida State, and even the Clemsons, and even in North Carolina, you get the Carolinas. You know, I think it would just be. It would be massive. And I, I was kind of sitting on the fact, like, would that be a better conference in the SEC? And it's just like, I mean, I think it I think it can be like I think it would have the potential to be like the SEC. Again, I think will always be like the kind of premier. But I think that that would be the closest. It would seriously challenge them. Yeah. yeah. For, I, and I think for the first time, I don't know. Again, I'm I guess I'm younger, so I haven't seen like all of this or whatever, just like the whole history of college football. But like in my lifetime, I feel like there's never really been a close kind of second to the sec as far as conference like sec's clearly always been the best conference in college football and if the big 10 came even that close or even you know potentially match them like that would just be that would be cool and i think that that would just again i think it would make my, even miami's potential that much greater and uh again i'm and just even the, like for me just i think about the recruiting stuff i just think they're about the recruiting implications of all this stuff and you know it would just be it would just be crazy like you know miami recruits on the west coast a lot like imagine you can go into california and be like yeah we're gonna potentially play like you we're gonna either go to usc or ucla every other year you know we'll always you'll play one game a season in 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 southern california you know like that would just be a huge like I feel like that would just make things easier. I don't know. I I I I think this would be. I, I'm just kind of fascinated to see how this all kind of shakes out. And I hope Miami's on the the right side of of whatever ends up happening here. I guess is, uh, you know, really probably my primary concern because it does seem like this. The ACC is like the conference that's almost like stagnant right now. Like no one has made sure. a single move. Like the Big Ten has made a move. You know, Pac-12 one way or another made a move, kind of dissolved. Uh, Big 12 has made some good moves to um, SEC, obviously, with Texas and Oklahoma. And, and then it's the AC. The ACC is just like nothing, like nothing's coming out in or out of the ACC. So um, I think it's a weird spot to be in. And uh, I just hope that my again, Miami finds themselves in the best possible situation uh, for the future of the program, because I feel like this is a pretty uh, defining moment in college football. And I, I just hope that, uh, you know, this program here is it, it just lands on its feet in a place that's going to help it thrive. Yeah, there is. It'll be interesting. And again, I don't know the timeline on all this, but you know, look, I think it's, it comes down to two things. Number one, does ESPN want to lose these teams like Miami, Florida state, Clemson, 
North Carolina. I would assume not. And so something has to happen there in order to make them stay and, and remain essentially an ESPN property. If not, those schools are going to find a way to eventually challenge things. Um, and so that means you're out of business with them uh, and, and potentially give Fox slash the Big Ten the upper hand uh, or at least a significant challenger in the world of college live sports. Okay, let's take a break and then we will move on and discuss position battles uh, here in the first week of fall camp. Attention business owners, I'm going to say three words you've probably heard of by now. Employee retention credit. If you're a business owner with W-2 employees and you haven't explored this program, you need to schedule a call with our friends at Foreman Law Offices ASAP. The employee retention credit can put thousands of dollars back into the hands of business owners. However, the rules are complex and have changed many times since the inception of the program. You need to have a qualified law firm with experience in the ERC. Evaluate this for your business. You won't owe them a dime until you get paid. All you have to do is go to erclawyers.com and fill out the short questionnaire to schedule a call with their team. Two minutes may be worth thousands of dollars for your business. Get it done today. erclawyers.com. Tell them TTS sent you for Through the Smoke. Money can be the root of all evil when you don't understand it. A couple of bad decisions shouldn't continue to affect us years later, and the path to recovery shouldn't be as painful as the regret. Everyone at some point needs help with their financial situation, and Pride Financial can lend that helping hand. Pride Financial offers a patient and judgment-free environment and will provide you with the knowledge and power you need to realize your dreams. Once they identify your goals, they will guide you to the finish line, holding your hand every step of the way. Repairing and building credit is only the first step. They'll educate you on a variety of banking and financial institutions, what resources they offer, and how to maximize funding for your financial needs. Gain access to a vast network of realtors and licensed dealers to receive outstanding deals on prime real estate and the newest vehicles to fit your lifestyle. They even offer education and services to assist those more involved on the business side of things. Text 305-393-7698 or email globalchoice underscore consulting at yahoo.com to book a free consultation with Pride Financial. And let's take pride in our finances. All right, Gabby, let's start on offense. Quarterback, you know, I don't know if there's necessarily anything major to say here. I think it's, to me, it's kind of clear cut. I think Tyler's your starter. Uh, I think Jakari Brown is your backup. And Emery Williams is your red shirt, uh, going to be a red shirt uh, candidate as a freshman quarterback. I do think all three players are more comfortable in the system. I do think uh, in terms of the backups in particular, Jakari and Emery, they continue to show improvement since the spring, uh, which is encouraging. Both those guys have different strengths, different weaknesses. Um but overall, you know, in terms of position battles or how things are going to play out at quarterback, I don't know if there's necessarily anything to, to highlight there. 
anything you want to say about the quarterbacks? No, I mean, not really. Again, I feel like, you know, Tyler's going to be the guy uh, they're curating this thing for him. And, you know, have, I haven't seen a ton of, you know, really even Jakari or Emery, but, you know, I think, again, people are still kind of encouraged about what they're going to be in the future. So I think the present right now, it's about Tyler and how they can maximize what he can do to, to get this thing rolling, uh, you know, here in a, I guess a few weeks, right. Or a few weeks out from mm-hmm. open, opening things up pumped about that. A few weeks out. How about running back? Um, uh... How do we think that's going to play out? Because uh, essentially four guys that are healthy right now going through camp, uh, Miami returns Henry Parrish, Don Chaney Jr. They added A.J. Allen as a Nebraska transfer. Mark Fletcher is a freshman that I think is in the mix. Chris Johnson's also a freshman on the roster. Uh, maybe he he earned some small role. I kind of view him more as like a redshirt candidate, but we'll see. He's, he's on the bubble, I guess. Um, but how do you view kind of this position group to play out? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, I, I think we'll get a better idea of, you know, maybe once we see some of these guys in pads, but, you know, I think early on in the season, I think Henry Parrish is going to get, you know, a lot of opportunities to kind of, you know, be the incumbent, be the guy that's coming back, you know, the the starter, all that stuff. But I think Mark Fletcher is is creeping down everyone's, you know, neck right now. I think he has a, a great opportunity to, to potentially take over the room. I mean, even just talking to people who have been out there watching practice, I mean, I, it seems like everyone is just extremely impressed by what Mark Fletcher's bringing. So I'm encouraged that Fletcher is going to have, a, that he's going to play a significant role. Uh, people continue to speak highly of AJ Allen and what he could potentially do. David, as, as you highlighted, he is probably the smallest of the backs, but I think they like what he brings them as far as, you know, his contact balance, his toughness, all those different types of things. So I still think those two are going to play a huge role, but I do think of, of, you know, the four with, you know, Henry Parrish and Don Chaney being the two uh, returners. Um, I think maybe Parrish uh, is going to be uh, the one that maybe just continues to be a part of that top mix alongside Mark Fletcher and, and potentially AJ Allen. I agree. I kind of just view my mindset. I view it as three. So yeah. I view it as those three, Henry Parrish, AJ Allen, Mark Fletcher. Um, to me, Henry Parrish and AJ Allen are complementary backs and Fletcher is the lead back. Um, now I do think how that plays out and the question of when those roles get cemented is fair. And I think a lot of that has to do with navigating locker room dynamics, right? Like it's just is what it is. Like if, especially now in the transfer portal era, if you hand the job over to Mark Fletcher right away, potentially can blow up your running back room, right? We've already seen Lawrence Seymour hit the portal here in the first week of camp. Uh, So it is a dynamic that has to be navigated everywhere in the country. Um, And Miami's included in that, of course, here at the running back position. I think for me, Gabby, like if I was, I think prior to, to the first week of camp, if you asked me to rank the running backs and carries, um, I would have ranked AJ Allen number one. I think now, honestly, I would mar- I would rank Mark Fletcher number one. I would I would rank AJ Allen and Henry Parrish pretty close behind. Yeah. You know, number two uh, behind Mark Fletcher. Would you push back on that? No, I I wouldn't. Um, I, again, I'm still kind of curious to see where the AJ Allen stuff goes. Just, but I think it's just because maybe we haven't been super exposed to him to this point. Um, sure. But I mean, I I am personally 
uh, under the impression that Mark Fletcher is, I mean, gonna eventually be the guy. I mean, you know, what what does that look like? What does that timeline look timeline look like? I don't know, but I would wager that by you know mid season, I mean Fletcher's gonna potentially be like the feature back with those two guys again playing more complementary roles. And again, you just look at them physically, and I mean, clear as day that Fletcher, I think, is is the most NFL NFL prototypical running back of the bunch. Um, I still think AJ Allen's maybe a little bit more a question mark. So right now, maybe I'd lean Henry Parrish too. But uh, I think maybe the more we get, like we personally get exposed to AJ Allen, uh, you know, maybe the the more we'll like him, or maybe that'll shift up. But yeah, I I, I think that Fletcher is going to end up being the guy. Wide receiver. Let's discuss kind of the same things there. Uh, so first team through this first week has been Colby Young and Jacoby George on the outside. Uh, Xavier Restrepo in the slot. Second team has been Isaiah Horton and Tyler Harrell uh, working on the outside. And the, the second team slot has been kind of a rotation with Brashard Smith and the freshman Nathaniel Ray Ray Joseph. Any strong takes about the, the receiver rotation here and how you think it'll play out with dividing up that playing time? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be curious, especially how they rotate. Yeah, I mean, really, even the outside receivers, because like how I feel like you can't keep Tyler with just Tyler Harrell's elite speed. Like how much can you really keep him off the field? Uh, Colby Young, uh, you know, is he going to kind of be that premier wide receiver one? Is is Are they going to give Isaiah Horton a shot? Like a lot of people, again, are really, really high on what Isaiah Horton showed over the course of the offseason coming into fall camp. I mean, I think he looks right. Like, I think I think both Tyler Harrell and Isaiah Horton are going to get, you know, their opportunities to get on the field. You heard Shannon Dawson the other, the other day talk about how they're going to roll, you know, six or seven deep. And, you know, really all seven of those names you rattled off are the seven that I rattled, that I wrote down as the guys who are going to be, you know, I think a part of the rotation, at least initially before some guys separate, maybe separate themselves and it gets maybe more narrowed down. Um, but I think all those guys are going to get a chance to play, especially early. And I think even the slot, the slot deal, like I, I personally think Nathaniel Joseph is going to end up being, you know, the number two slot receiver. Like I could definitely see him leap Prashard Smith on the depth chart. I know we've already seen, uh, instances, uh, or here early in Let fall camp. Where, yeah. Why, why not? Number one. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just probably the, you know, older guy, Mr. Reliable, you know, that, you know, especially with like Van Dyke, that sense of comfort. Like I think talent wise, Nathaniel Joseph is the best of the slot receivers. Like I think when it's all said and done, he's going to have the best career out of all of them. I mean, I could, I could definitely see, you know, Nathaniel Joseph being the top slot receiver, but I just think they like Restrepo. I think he's kind of a, a safety blanket for Tyler Van Dyke. I think he has an understanding of what they kind of want to do, but I think just from a pure talent and production standpoint, like if you gave Nathaniel Joseph, if the same opportunities that you gave Restrepo, like I bet you we'd probably get a little bit more out of Ray Ray. Um, are they going to do that? I mean, maybe we'll see maybe later on, like, as again, as the season kind of goes on, but I think early, it's just going to kind of be about like, who's going to take these opportunities and run with them. And Ray Ray could take one of those opportunities super early in the season and just kind of put everyone in a position where you can't really take them off the field or you have to play him more than Restrepo and definitely more than Brashard. Like, I think that's all on the table. I, I think we still have so much more that we need to see and more that we need to learn. But I think Nathaniel Joseph is talented enough to be like this, like the slot receiver on this team, especially as we kind of get further into this. Like, I, I don't know how early they're going to just throw him out like that, but I could absolutely see. And Xavier Shrepel's gotten hurt, right? Like, I mean, he, he missed time last year. Like, if something happens where Shrepel's Estrav- where not ready to go, like, I could see it, go, like, I could see him handing it to Joseph and, you know, not really looking back. 
do you think there's any separation anywhere amongst the outside receivers? I think the biggest separation is probably like maybe Colby Young to Isaiah Horton, uh, just because I feel like they're, they're just really high on Colby. But like, is there a huge separation to like to me between Tyler Harrell and Jacoby George? Like, I think Tyler Harrell's elite trait is is better than Jacoby George's elite trait. And I know a lot of people are talking up Jacoby George and the staff has said a bunch of good stuff about him. And I hope he does take that next step. But I think Tyler Harrell with just that that speed factor, that element that Miami's kind of missing and, you know, just me with the understanding that they want to take shots downfield. I, I think it makes Tyler Harrell tough to kind of, again, not have on there, not have that threat on there. And I'm not saying he's going to play, you know, every snap and Jacoby's not. But I think having Tyler Harrell there, I think that Jacoby George Tyler Harrell race is, is probably going to be extremely tight or the rotation, but I do think the separation between Colby Young and Isaiah Horton is maybe a little bit wider, uh, you know, compared to really, honestly, even in the slot. Like, I think that's probably right. probably the biggest one. And still, we'll see what Horton's got. Like, I think there's still time to see what Horton can do. But I think just kind of here early in fall camp, I think Colby's kind of cemented himself as that wide receiver one. I agree. I think, I think Colby might be the only one that's safe, like, in terms yeah. of, like, a wide receiver that will play, like, I don't know, 60 snaps, right? Uh, yeah. So essentially, Colby is going to be on the field for 85 to 90% of the snaps. I think he's maybe the only one that, you know, you could categorize that way. Uh, Jacoby and Tyler, from what I've heard, uh, both guys have been up and down. And I think both guys have been playing pretty well, but I'm not sure either one of those guys is like running away with it. Um, and they, like you said, they both bring different strengths to the field. And so that one's probably going to be like more of a 50, 50 slash 60, 40 rotation. And, you know, it'll be performance-based, but, uh, from that point on. And then honestly, like I went into this fall camp thinking like, yeah, Xavier Restrepo definitely going to be the top slot guy. Honestly, though, I think that thing's trending more to being split like one third because I kind of hear some decent things about Prashard Smith too. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, look, I think Xavier's going to start the year probably playing more than those guys. Um, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, those guys do play a lot as well. And there's a kind of a strong rotation there in the slot. And then again, it's going to be all based on performance. And so what does is, what is Nathaniel Joseph do when he has the opportunities? What does Brashard Smith do when he has the opportunities? Same with Xavier. And, you know, going back to the Mark Fletcher point, right, with, with locker room dynamics, this plays a key role, I think, in how do you divvy up playing time at this receiver position as well. Um, you know, I think we all know what's coming with Ray Ray Joseph. But can you just straight up make that move um, when Xavier's a veteran guy that works hard and I think can be productive? And like you've hint, like you've said, like he's on the same page with Tyler Van Dyke. Can you just straight up make that brash move? I think it's going to take performance by Ray Ray to really, really make that change. And so I'm curious how that plays out. I think the bottom line is. The receiver group is deeper. I still don't think from like an elite end talent 
perspective, it's quite where it needs to be, particularly on the outside. That's where landing guys like Jojo Trader and Chance Robinson, uh, you know, change things in the future. But for right now, you know, I, I kind of view this group as like, okay, they all have kind of individual traits. And so how does Shannon Dawson put those pieces of the puzzle together um, to get things going through the air? Like Colby Young, really good size. Uh, Tyler Harrell, elite speed. Jacoby George can go win you some 50-50 balls at times with his big hands and uh, body control. You know, Xavier Restrepo, Mr. Reliable, Rashard Smith has some pretty good long speed. Ray Ray uh, Joseph is kind of a spark plug, uh, you know, acceleration and top end speed guy. So just piecing it all together, I think there's more options uh, this year compared to last year. And so that's what I'm encouraged by. Anything else or move on to tight end? No, let's go to tight ends. Tight end snap. So for me, you know, Elijah Arroyo is clear tight end number one. I think, you know, through the first week, we saw like some load management stuff happening. Yeah. Uh, you know, and Mario Cristobal said, I think on the first day, he said like, expect this to happen. And it did happen. And, you know, he's practicing in a brace. He is moving around fine. Like I can't tell any effects of the injury. Um, but I do think he's clearly tight end one. I think the intention right now is Cam McCormick to be tight end two, which I'm okay with. I think Miami needs a blocking element at tight end. They need to be much better running the ball in the red zone. And Cam McCormick uh, plays a big role in that as a blocking tight end. Um, so I think you would agree on those two points, Gabby. So to me, the conversation is third tight end. And I think that's a competition between Jaleel Skinner and Riley Williams. For me, what I hear is I think Skinner flashes elite freaky potential at times, but he's also up and down. Uh, whereas Williams is maybe more steady and Williams does have still some of that upside. His upside probably isn't as, as high as Skinner's, uh, but he's just a little more steady. Um, so I think we see both those guys, quite frankly. Um, but how would you kind of characterize that third tight end battle? Yeah, I, I think right now it's probably going to go to Jalil Skinner. I mean, he's an older guy. And I think he still has that kind of like freak potential, you know, where yeah. it's just like when he, when he does like his, you know, when he does really good things, it's kind of different than when anyone else can do. Um, I think he has that kind of flexy body type where it's just like, yeah, maybe he's not 255 pounds the way Riley Williams is, or, you know, maybe 265, 270, the way Cam McCormick is, but he's like that, that pass catching uh, tight end that you kind of want to throw on the field, maybe like, you know, in some like 12 personnel stuff where you can throw Cam McCormick on the field where you have that bigger body. And then you kind of have a Jaleel Skinner who's still kind of like the passing. Like, I think they're going to do things like that where they're going to use two tight ends. And I think that's what I think that's what even what makes Cam McCormick extremely valuable. Like, I think you're going to see a lot of different looks. I think you're going to watch. You're going to see them use uh, two tight ends. And I think just with Elijah Royal, even Cam McCormick, I think Cam McCormick's going to be on the field a lot just because of how they want to use him and how physical they want to be at the line of scrimmage. And especially in the red zone, I think we're probably going to see 
see a lot of that, you know, two, those two tight end sets. Uh, but as far as that, like with that third tight end, I think right now I'd probably still go Jaleel Skinner, who's ultra talented and has all the tools with Riley Williams, ultra ta- talented, has all the tools. But I think Riley's still kind of a, y- a young guy that's still kind of coming up. I think it's a deep room. And uh, again, I, I, could, I could see him getting on the field at times. But, uh, you know, I don't think that they're going to necessarily like maybe force the issue of getting him onto the field early because I think you still feel confident about what you got, uh, you know, again, especially now that you got that bigger body in Cam McCormick that you don't need to throw a younger guy on there and kind of need Riley Williams to to do certain things that, you know, I think you have the personnel to to do otherwise where you can kind of preserve him and bring him along until he's ready. So uh, I think right now, third tight end, I would still roll with Jaleel Skinner, but uh, Riley Williams is someone that, again, around the program, they're extremely, extremely high on. People that have watched him kind of go think, you know, he has a, a really, really, um, you know, a, a lot of potential, like, you know, NFL potential and all of those great things. So, um, you know, I think, it's a, I think it's a really good room. I think the future of the room is very bright. And uh, but that's how I kind of see it shaking out right now. I know for me, like with Jaleel, there's no doubt he has all the physical traits he would want. I just would like to see him develop more of like a alpha mentality. Yeah. And I know like not everyone has that, but I think if he just kind of understands he can be like, I don't know if he understands how good he can be. And um, just like a confidence thing, just kind of just go out there and, you know, let it rip. Um, I think he's, he's a guy that can, that has the highest ceiling in the room. It's just a matter of, will he put it all together? And to me, that kind of just comes down to doing all the extra little things, putting in all that little extra work. And if he does that, he's going to be special. Um, so it'll be interesting. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Um, offensive line talk. I think so that group is is the same as we saw in the spring. They're working on gelling, et cetera, becoming that one unit. So left tackle, Jalen Rivers, left guard, Javen Cohen, center, Matt Lee, right guard, Inez Cooper, right tackle, Francis Maui Noah. Feel very good about that group. Uh, Javen Rivers spoke with us. What day was that? Maybe Friday? I forget what day he spoke with us last week. But he has changed his body since uh, since the spring even. He said he's dropped you know, maybe 3% body fat, dropped about 6 pounds. And he did that uh, in an effort to improve his quickness because he is going to be the left tackle this year. And he has the length. I think he is athletic enough. Um, to play left tackle at the college level. Um, and so ne- he he just wanted to take that next step 
of really getting his body type to that left tackle level. And he does look great uh, from, from like a physical traits perspective. Uh, the technique, of course, is always going to be an area to watch here for an inside guy that's kicking out outside. But we've seen it happen before. We've seen that transition happen before smoothly. Um, so I believe in Jalen Rivers. We'll see how it plays out. But where I want to take this conversation with offensive line, Gabby, is the sixth, seventh, and eighth linemen. Uh, again, Lawrence Seymour has entered the portal. I don't know if he was ever, at least by me, he was not viewed as a potential sixth, seventh, or eighth lineman this year. Um, and look, in terms of Lawrence Seymour, I think he is a talented guy, just a limited physically guy that, you know, six one, six two offensive lineman. That's just not what Mario Cristobal and Alex Mirabal are looking for on the offensive line. Um, so best of luck to Lawrence and, and he will be fine wherever he does land. Uh, but if you're projecting offensive lineman, six, seven, eight, Gabby, where do you go? Yeah. I mean, I think it just depends on whether Zion Nelson's going to end up being healthy. Uh, I mean, presumably he isn't. if he's not, okay, yeah. then I would probably go Samson, Ock and Lola, um, Tommy Kinsler and Logan Sagapolo are probably the three that I'm rolling with a six, seven, eight. Okay. And, and with Tommy Kinsler. I heard, I don't know when exactly this happened. So like the first day of camp, I saw him at third team with the right tackles at right tackle. And I think at some point last week, and I don't know if it's connected. I really don't uh, to Lawrence Seymour transferring out, but I do know at some point last week, he was bumped up to the second team. So he's already kind of making that move. Uh, he was the second team like on the inside. I don't know. I, I don't know. I think yeah. honestly it was right tackle but I don't know. I got to get clarity on that. Yeah. Uh, so he's probably the biggest framed offensive lineman Miami has on the roster. And that oh, includes yeah. Francis, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, so he is an impressive guy. And again, we we've kind of mentioned too, how like, look, if Inez Cooper is a guy that could start four games last year, uh, Tommy Kinsler is a guy in a pinch that we could definitely see them going to if they have to this year. Uh, because he does have that size that they want. I agree with you. So I would put Kinsler in that group. I would put Samson Okanlola in that group. For me, I'd probably go... I don't know. I'd probably lean McCoy. Yeah, I thought about McCoy. Um, I I would honestly probably put Cristobal, Lou Cristobal there too, just from the center factor. Center, yeah. yeah. Um. But really, I think you're looking at Okanlola, Kinsler, um, and then, you know, be optimistic about Zion Nelson. Yeah. And may- maybe his ability to return. Yeah. But that would have been my original three. If, Zion, again, if we're talking, it just depends where we're factoring in Zion Nelson into this whole thing. Yeah. But I don't think if, he's practicing yet. So, yeah, no, I don't think so either. It just depends so, where where he is and all this, when he comes back, all that stuff. Like, it's it's right. very unpredictable right now with right. with uh with Zion Nelson. And again, I think there's position versatility even too within the starting group. And definitely, so, you know, Jalen Rivers can kick inside if they feel like Oaken Lola is ready to handle some left tackle responsibilities. Uh I think Francis can play anywhere on the offensive line. Um 
And so that kind of factors in too, in terms of where you want to slot guys in. Um, so yeah, uh, let's go to defense. So predict the starting defensive line, Gabby. Who who would you say game one, Miami of Ohio, the Miami Bowl, Friday night, September 1st. Big time. 7, 7.30 kickoff, ACC Network. Who's rolling out there? D-line, first team. I, I do. Th- I think it's the group that we've seen so far. I think that's probably the four that they seem preparing to to roll out there. I think it's going to be Nigel e. Kelly, which I think would be big. You know, I think that's maybe been one of the earlier surprises is like the veteran Jafari Harvey, um, you know, not working with the first team, Nigel e. Kelly. I do think Nigel e. Kelly is the most ta- like maybe the more talented one. So I like that. I think it tells to his development. So I see Nigel e. Kelly at one of the defensive end spots, uh, Leonard Taylor and Branson Dean, the Purdue transfer uh, on the interior and then Akeem Mesador. Uh, you know, on the on the opposite side of Nigel e. Kelly. So I do think those are the first four defensive linemen that we're going to see. And, uh, you know, I, I expect those to be the guys that roll out. I hope it's your four. I kind of expect at some point in camp for Harvey to get back with the first team over Kelly. But again, I hope it's your four. I think yeah. Kelly's more talented. And I think, look, they're going to play a lot of D linemen. They're going to sure. rotate heavily. So no matter who wins that battle between Harvey and Kelly, they're going to play a ton. Ruben Bain's going to play a ton. Um, so that, you know, I just expect like a veteran like Harvey, you know, he didn't participate in spring football. So I kind of wonder if like, that's why maybe night. And I think Nigel League's very talented. And if it just means he straight up is better than Harvey, then that's great. Uh, but I wonder too, if that dynamic of Harvey being out in the spring kind of led to him starting the year with the second team. Um, and again, all these changes will be made post scrimmages. So that'll be worth monitoring. I want to talk about D tackle though, that starting D tackle job. I know like for me coming into camp, I kind of expected Miami to go Leonard Taylor and Jared Harrison hunt. Um, just cause Jared has a bigger frame, a bigger body type. I think that works best next to Leonard Taylor. And again, Jared Harrison Hunt isn't like, you know, he's like a 6'4", 295, 300 type of D tackle with good length. It's not like he's like a 340 pound D tackle. So when I say bigger, I don't mean that type of bigger. I mean length. Um, But it does seem like they're all in on Branson Dean. Yeah. How How do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, again, I think he's. I I, I think they brought him in. I, I think they brought him in to contribute. You know, he went to pre- yes. when when he did at Purdue last year was impressive as far as just generating pressures uh, from the interior. I think just they. I think they like. Uh, you know, really, I think he's kind of taking on a leadership role on the he's team. The I man think he, at yeah, tackle. Yeah, I think he's. I think he's the guy that again. I think he's just earned the respect of his teammates, of the coaches, and I think he's someone that they just feel confident in. You know, as far as just he's just going to do the right things. He's going to make plays. Does he have like prototypical NFL measurements? Like, no, he doesn't. But you know, I think I think he's a good enough player to to be productive on Saturdays uh, for Miami and help that defense. Uh, again, what what is like the? I, I think it's going to be. I mean, how good is he or productive is he going to be against the run i think it's going to be a big thing and again how much are they going to kind of rotate uh branson dean maybe in and out to kind of supplement for that because we know he's great at getting to the quarterback as like a pass rushing 
um, you know, interior defensive lineman. What was it? 34 pressures that he had last yeah. year. Uh, so, you know, he's, he, he's an impressive guy. He can get into the backfield. Uh, but I think it's going to be with, with Tina's just how, how good against the runner you're going to be. Um, hopefully Leonard, Leonard Taylor takes that next step now that he's what 310 pounds. Right. I think that's, that's, that's huge for LT to be at that size. And again, hopefully he takes that next step as far as just keep like that motor running hot. But I think Dean is someone that, Again, I think everyone feels good about it. Again, even people watching practice, you know, the feedback yes. that I've gotten has been very, very positive on Branson Dean. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt there. Haven't seen him a ton, Same. obviously. So um, I think hopefully uh, as the more we learn, the more we also grow to like him. Yes, I think that's fair to say. And my biggest thing that's holding me back with like, again, I do think he's the second best D tackle on the team. So, uh I think that is the case, but he is, I mean, he's listed at six, two, I would say closer to six, one. Would you push back on that? Not really. No, I don't know. He's, he's not, he's definitely not a big guy. And then two, he said he's up to two ninety. So again, it's that run stopping element of playing D tackle that, you know, stout, but he is a six year guy. I also think he's highly intelligent. And so that factor of knowing what's coming I think he can elevate his play uh, with his awareness. And so, and also to just kind of get the, get the D line on track with, again, knowing what's coming, what to expect, where should you be, et cetera. There, there is a lot of value in that. So um, that'll be interesting. And yeah, let's move on to linebacker. Um to me, Gabby, I think Francisco Maui Noah is clearly the starter. Would you push back on that? Definitely not. <laughs> Definitely not. And so weak side, and I think Corey Flagg's going to be his backup at middle, and that's going to be a nice little one-two or a solid one-two. Um, and so weak side is where an interesting position battle is taking place uh, with KJ Cloyd, the Louisville transfer, and Wesley Besaint the sophomore who started a few games last year as a true freshman from what we can watch in individual drills, Gabby, it does seem like they're, they are rotating them every day, throwing a new guy out there at weak side. I've seen Wesley work with the first team. I've seen KJ work with the first team. Um, and again, this will, this is a position battle that will come down to performance in scrimmages. So that is yet to happen. Uh, but what do you expect this weak side linebacker position to look like here after one week of fall camp? Yeah, I'm curious to see which way this goes, just because I think this is probably one of the tightest recruiting, uh, not recruiting, one of the tightest position battles on the team. Like they obviously brought in KJ Cloyd late to kind of fill in and, and, you know, kind of honestly, they brought him in to be a starter. Like, I think they brought right. KJ Cloyd in with the intention of him being the guy. Uh, I think Wesley Besaint is, you know, I think he's answering the call. I yep. think he's he's competing. He's fighting for that starting role. And yep. I think it's good. I think that's healthy. And I, I don't really know which way this is going to play out right now. If I had to guess, I would probably go with the older guy, a guy in KJ Cloyd, who just gives Miami that size, that 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 experience. Um, again, an older guy on the field that just kind of gets it, that understands Derek Nicholson and his coaching and all of those things. Um, as long as he, you know, gets the defense, which I think he will. Um, you know, I do, I do give the edge to KJ Cloyd, 
But, you know, I think Wesley Bassaint's going to get in there again. I think he's he's earned, yes. you know, the opportunity to be on the field. So I think there might be, I think unless KJ Cloyd really runs away with it or just kind of like really performs at a very high level, um, I do think that Wesley Bassaint is going to be the first linebacker sub that we're going to see. And I think they're going to get him on the field in, in, in different ways. Agreed, as they should. I think I agree that I, if I was predicting game one, I think Cloyd's going to start. And then I think that first month of the season, it's just going to come down because I do think they're going to rotate Wesley in. And that first month of the season is almost going to be like scrimmage situations for those two players because they're going to be graded um, on their performance. And, you know, the guy at, at the end of the first month that kind of grades out the best or, or the coaching staff trusts the most, I think you're going to see him start the rest of the season. So I think that's to be determined. I wouldn't rule out Wesley, uh, but I do think to start the year, we're going to see KJ Cloyd. Any freshman catch your eye during the little bit we get to watch there in individual drills? I, I think Malik Bryant's been, you know, good. Again, what we see is very, very limited, uh, you know, we, but I think maybe the most like contact Intriguing. we probably see is that block shedding drill that they do with the lineman, with the offensive linemen and the linebackers. And I think Malik Bryant's been good, you know, watching that. Yeah. Obviously he hasn't been perfect, but you know, there's been times like I've, I think we, I've watched him beat Francis Malago. I've watched him get, sure. get around Matt Lee. You know, I think I, that's his, I think that's his like kind of bread and butter, right? Like that, that pass rushing ability, you know, kind of came up as a young ed, you know, edge rusher at IMG Academy and at Jones. Um, it's kind of transitioning to maybe more of a traditional, uh, maybe will linebacker type of role. But I, I do think that Malik Bryan has, you know, had some of those, you know, flashes again in the very limited windows that we've seen. Uh, you know, David, I noticed on what was it? I guess it was maybe Thursday uh, when we watched, like, really, we were walking out as they were lining up for seven on seven. And it was, uh, you know, the day before they had given Damari Brown an opportunity to kind of roll with the first team defense. And I'm not sure if that's just a thing they're doing with some of these freshmen. But as we were walking off the field, it was Marcellus Pulliam who was on the field during that first seven on seven uh, rep uh, that alongside, you know, the first team defense. So, and I know that he's someone, uh, you know, as a middle linebacker working behind, you know, Corey flag and Francisco Mauagoa that I think that they're high on too. So I think those are maybe the two uh, freshman linebackers that, you know, have maybe standing out. And then everyone obviously talks about Bobby Washington and his freaky speed and athleticism and all those yep. things. So just got to wait and see how he kind of develops and, you know, learns the position and, and the defense. Yep. And I think with Malik Bryant, you know, he kind of looks like an older guy already, just physically, um, you know, kind of well built for his age. I think the thing with him is just kind of like you were alluding to learning how to really play in space uh, and have those instincts. And when we talk about those traits at linebacker, I think they feel good about what, you know, the first impression that Pulliam is making in that regard. And, and they also praise uh, Raul Aguirre too for his intelligence which we've known right like he's he's a smart guy and uh, he's he's picking up the defense pretty well too I I will say this I think this freshman linebacker class is better than I gave it credit for uh, when they signed so that's a good thing um, I think out of those four they're going to find at least two guys that can get it done at a relatively high level here in the future. And that's encouraging. Um, cornerback. 
So the way I read this thing after one week, Gabby, I think Devontae Brown, kind of like what I was saying about Colby Young, I think yeah. he's separated from the pack. He's like safe. He's the man. He's going to start, play a bunch of snaps as an outside corner. Um, so I'm curious, how would you handicap the other two starting jobs at corner? Because we saw them go with Decorey Couch at the start of fall camp as the other outside corner. Uh, and then Jaden Davis was first team nickel for pretty much the whole week. Um, I'm curious how you would handicap things though here going into week two. Yeah. I mean, right now, I mean, Jaden Davis is another one that I feel has like a very good chance to, I, I don't know if he's running away with the starting job, but I think he definitely is the, the odds on favorite to, to win that starting nickel job. Um, you know, so I, I think Jaden Davis is, uh, again, he, he played a lot of outside corner during his time at Oklahoma, but he's a veteran guy, 20 plus starts. Uh, I think they feel very comfortable throwing him in the nickel. And, you know, I, I, I think that would be his best position just future wise. Again, if we're projecting to the NFL, I think he's a slot corner built like a slot corner. He's very intelligent. Again, I think he's just someone that they, that they can lean on and rely on to do the right things, make the right plays and, the me- decisions and things like that. To me, the thing that separates him from Takori, because I think Takori is better for the nickel as well. The thing I think that separates them is at least during his time at Oklahoma, Jaden was a solid tackler. Like he's also not the biggest corner. Um, he's thicker than Takori, but he's still that 5'10-ish type mm-hmm. of corner. But he doesn't miss many tackles, which you have to have in that nickel corner spot now in modern football. Um, so he kind of fills that role in a better way than to does. So I agree. I think he's kind of got that locked up. Yeah. I, I do think Jaden Davis is close, at least close to locking that up on the outside. I, I think it's going to go to Jadeus Richard. you know, I, I do think that he, he maybe has, uh, you know, I, I think he has really, really good upside. He's obviously still a younger guy. Like I feel like we've been kind of been talking to him. Like he's like a veteran transfer, but he's, he's a true sophomore, um, you know, he, he, he played, uh, you know, really not even like a ton of snaps at Vanderbilt during his time started just one game, that Florida game. He had a great game in that one. Um, but he's still a, a young dude. And uh, I, I think that, you know, he just coming into this fall, uh, there's obviously a lot of expectations and, you know, people are very high on just the overall talent, but I, I, I do think that he is a young guy who can, uh, you know, potentially carve out a starting role in this defense. And, you know, I would, I think just talent wise, I think Jadeus Richard maybe is uh, best suited for that other outside cornerback spot right now. So I agree. I think it'll be Jadis. And um, so that means you have Devonte Brown and Jadis on the outside, both guys six, two plus. So Jadis six, two Devonte's probably like six, three. Yeah. Devonte's um, a big dude. And then I would put to Corey as like a swing guy, a guy that can play on the outside or nickel. Would you push back on that? No, I mean, yeah, I think that that's kind of how they've been using him here early in fall camp, right? Like kind of throwing him to both. And then I think Damari Brown is kind of de- being developed as that as well. And yeah, for sure. He might play more too as the season progresses. Um I think even Jadis could like play some nickel too. Again, I think that we're going to see a lot of different yes. looks in this pack, in this defense. Like I think we're going to see some situations where Jadis is playing in the nickel. Like I think we're going to see a lot of different, I think we're going to see a lot of movement and, you know, again, versatility with some of these guys. Which is good because I know like if we're just talking on paper, right on the surface, uh, you got two corners in Devante and Jadis that are big physical corners, which I think is ideal, which, which I think is what you want. 
Um, but we saw last year, right? Miami had some big physical corners as well. And DJ Ivy and Tyreek Stevenson. Um, and so again, this is nitpicking. I, I admit, um, but we did see last year, Miami struggle with receivers on the outside that had a lot of speed and, or were quick accelerators to their top end speed. Um, does that concern you at all with this potential pairing on the outside? I don't know if Miami necessarily has answers otherwise, right? Yeah. I guess, I, I guess you could put Jaden Davis on the outside in some matchups. Right. Um, but does that concern you? Because it was an issue last year, right? That's why yeah, I'm bringing sure. this to. And honestly, I went back and watched a little bit of Vanderbilt, Tennessee, uh, and Jalen Hyatt, who again is a freak, like yeah, total fast wide receiver, um, maybe the fastest receiver on the field in the country last year. He did burn Jadis Richard for a 61 yard play. Yep. But again, that's Jalen Hyatt. You're not going to run into those very often, <laughs> but there's but, enough of there's, there's some, there's some guys that have some serious like Twitch like that. And does the it conference. concern you? Yeah. I mean, I, I think until they show that it's not, I think until this, these corners show that it's like not a concern, like I'm going to be concerned about that stuff. Cause I feel like that's where this defense just in general uh, got beat a ton, you know, those explosives, they gave up a, a bunch of them. I think maybe you hope that, you know, the, the safeties like with a guy like cam maybe uh, helps out a little bit over the top and you don't see a lot of those maybe busts in coverage, but straight up getting beat. Like, yeah, yeah. I I think that again, with these long big guys and, you know, people are talking up Jadis and his, his speed and his ability to, you know, kind of run all that stuff but still i mean you run into some of these other types of acceleration too yeah yeah for sure and i think that's where the versatility of these guys kind of kicks in because i think you can kind of play a little bit of match and i don't think you're you're not there yet from like an overall depth and like you know, right. room construction at cornerback. But I do think there's a little bit more versatility in this room where you can kind of play to some of those matchups and see what, 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 Matt, what, what maybe works best. Like, I don't think it's kind of like last year. Like it was kind of like, no matter what it was DJ Ivy, it was Tyreek Stevenson and whatever they kind of had out right. there, those guys had to kind of, you know, figure it out. And I think to an extent, maybe you're kind of in a similar spot, but I do think you have the ability to maybe again, Jaden Davis is a guy who has played on the outside and they want him to play the nickel. But I think if you run into one of those you know those types like Jaden Davis can go stick someone on the outside or, or make it a little bit more difficult like I don't think you're as stuck uh to uh certain guys playing in certain situations that maybe they're not best suited for um you know with this room of cornerbacks uh if that makes sense but yeah I mean I still think that that's a concern until Devonte and, and Jade is kind of prove or show that it's not yeah and I think they're going to be really good in terms of matching up with uh receivers that have size and I do think like in Devante's case, you know, he's maybe not the most fluid corner, which, you know, look, he's a six, three corner. That's very fast. If he was a fluid corner, he would be playing in an NFL camp right now. Right. So all these guys have their strengths and weaknesses. That's an area he has to improve. Um, so receivers might separate a little bit on him, you know, when, when they're getting in and out of their breaks, but Devante does have good makeup speed, number one, and he's good at tracking the ball when that separation does occur. And he's pretty good at getting his hands on balls and knocking them down. So I will say that about Devante. Jadis, I haven't seen enough, so I can't speak yeah. to his ability to, to go track the ball. But um, that's kind of just what it's going to boil down to, your makeup speed and can you track the ball, find it, 
knock it down um, or knock it out of the receiver's hands, et cetera, et cetera. Um, safety, you know, that's kind of set in stone, right? I think yep. James Williams, Camp Kitchens are your guys there. Fingers crossed, no injuries occur there. Um, but if Miami does have to dip into that third safety spot, uh, Coach Lance Gidry said, you know, Jaden Harris is making plays. He's picked off a couple of passes here during the first week of camp, which I think is encouraging. He also said Markeith Williams uh, probably knows the playbook a little better than Jaden Harris at this stage, which makes sense because Jaden Harris has bounced around yeah, in the secondary sure. since arriving. So just reading between the lines, it seems like Jaden's probably going to be the third safety this year. Um, anything to, to note there or add? Yeah, I, I like that. I like the idea of Jaden Harris kind of being the third safety. Uh, I, I just think even physically, I think it makes more sense for it to be Jaden Harris. Like Markeith Williams is still a little bit thin and I know he's really talented and even physical for a guy, his size, you know, we saw that at the high school level, but um, you know, I think Jaden Harris has, I, I think a lot of interesting tools. Like, you know, I remember last year when he got here as a freshman, he was already one of the fastest on the team as far as like the GPS goes. So he can really run. Um, I know Miami when they were kind of recruiting him a little bit under the radar. Like I think it was like a, an early sign or maybe like a, a, a signing day guy that just kind of like picked Miami. Um, you know, I think it was like over Georgia tech, but he's a kid from the Atlanta area that I think has played, uh, you know, some good football. And, uh, you know, again, I think even earlier in his career, he's just bounced. Like what you said, he's bounced around a lot. He's playing corner at one point, playing nickel. Now he's at safety. Uh, but I do think he has talent. And uh, I think he has some skills that, again, I, th I think once he settles into the position that he knows, like, this is home. Uh, I think he has the ability to be uh, the best of, uh, you know, what's left of the safety room. And again, what does that say? I, I don't feel comfortable about getting to that third safety at all. But uh, right. I think Jaden Harris is a smart kid. Uh, again, I think he has tools and ability, and I think learning under a guy like, you know, Camp Kitchens and kind of being in the room with him and learning under him, um, you know, I think he has a chance to, you know, help him out. But hopefully it's not this season, but uh, hopefully we don't have to get there. But I, I do like that they made that move with Jaden Harris, and I think it could end up, you know, being a good one, maybe down the line. The Star Horton Group is a real estate company that covers all of Miami-Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach counties. Born and raised in Miami, Starr is committed to growing his clients' wealth and securing their futures. One of the top realtors in the state, Starr knows the ins and outs of the market to make sure his clients get the best possible value when they sell or buy. If you're looking to buy or sell or know someone who is, call or text Starr directly at 561-573-4661. And here's the beauty. When you refer someone to Star, he will donate $250 to the Miami Hurricanes Athletic Fund in your name upon the closing of the deal. So to have a great real estate experience and help our Canes, call or text Star today at 561-573-4661. This episode is also brought to you by Midway Sports, your one-stop shop for all of your sporting good needs, located just two miles south of the University of Miami. This locally owned small business has everything you would need to gear up for every sport. Their stocked up men's, women's, and kids selections has you and your family covered for all of your outdoor needs. Use promo code SMOKE15 for 15% off your online order at MidwaySports.com. Are you a business owner or manager in need of seasonal or temporary staff? Let the folks at LT Pro Enterprises assist. 
The folks at LT Pro Enterprises can help you find laborers for your business in the state of Florida with an expanding footprint to other states as well. Reach out to Lionel Torres at Torres Lionel one, the number one at gmail.com. LT Pro Enterprises, your source for all of your staffing and labor needs. And just to wrap this up, this like position battle talk, one thing I'm curious, just big picture, holistic conversation. I am curious just how nice slash ruthless Mario Cristobal is going to be. You know, we, we've talked about how in some spots, you know, probably some hard decisions are going to have to be made. Um, I think last year he was probably a little too nice for lack of a better term, uh, you know, letting guys play um, in year one of his program. I think he's been a little more ruthless here in the off season uh, being kind of cut and dry, black and white. This is what I want. This is not what I want, et cetera. I am curious though, how does that translate into the season? How does that translate into playing time? Um, Cause I do think you got to, I think he's got to win this year. It's year two. The wins have to start showing that the progress has to happen. Um, and I do think you got to start working in some young, talented guys, even if that hurts some feelings, if that makes sense. So that's easier said than done. Of course, there are locker room dynamics that are real and, you know, those things do matter. We talk about establishing a culture, you know, that plays into all of that. So um, to me, it's just one of those big picture things to, to keep an eye on during the course of the season. I'm not saying like if against Miami of Ohio, we barely see Ray Ray Joseph to make a big deal about it, but it's just something to monitor during the course of the season. How is that stuff handled? Um, I think it's going to be interesting. One thing we like coming out of the first week, Gabby, if you had to name one thing you're excited about coming out of the first week of fall camp, what would it be? Yeah, I think I just feel good that I, I think I feel better about like just a top end talent on the team. You know, I think that it's more spread out. I think you have more talented guys at more positions. Uh, so I am encouraged just about way, the way that the roster is trending. Uh, not there yet, of course. But I think at every position, you can point at someone and be like, they have a, a big time trait or they have a big time opportunity to be, you know, a, a good player uh, for Miami in 2023. So, you know, obviously you talk about we've talked about the offensive line a ton, um, you know, but I feel like really across across the board, I think that there is just more there's more talent that's going to contribute. And I, I am excited about that. I think it's, I think it's definitely going to be a, a new look team in 2023 compared to 2022. And I feel like there's, there's just overall just more talent at the top of the roster than there was uh, here previously. Yeah. For me, I like the idea of these coordinators. Um, you know, I think they do have a lot to prove. This is, you know, this is a different level and this is, you know, with that comes, big time expectations. And so when times get tough, how, how are Shannon Dawson and Lance Gidry performing, um, you know, from week to week, if, if a loss happens, how do they bounce back the next week, et cetera, et cetera. But I do like how uh, these coordinators seem to be willing to adapt, to find answers, 
you know, an offense, you're getting lots of spread formations. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke has a lot of freedoms um, to, to make checks pre-snap. Uh, and, and as you're speaking to a, a lot of diversity at the skill positions, and then with Gidry's approach, you know, he's going to be aggressive and uh, it's going to be a fun defense to watch as long as things are sound kind of on the back end of, of being aggressive. Um, and so that's going to be interesting. I think overall, right. This is just, it's the schemes that are being implemented at Miami are going to be more fun to watch in general. And so I think I am encouraged by that coming out of the first week. And, you know, look, if the, if they have improved results, those type of schemes should also attract, uh, recruits. One, one area of concern you're keeping an eye on. Yeah, I'm still concerned about just like the overall depth. Like I do think uh, an injury at a few key spots could, uh, you know, we kind of saw how like 2022 got derailed. I still think that like, you know, a couple, if a couple things don't go right or a couple guys uh, go down that, uh, you know, we could, we're still in that kind of, I mean, I think center, I think center would be uh, a big one. Um, I even think if one of those, like, I think even if just one of those, uh, the trend, like if, if JV and Cohen goes down or even like a Francis Malagoa, like, I think if one of those guys, it would, it would be problematic. I think if you're, I think you're still like kind of an injury at running back away from being really thin again, uh, you know, where like, you don't want to put yourself in a bad spot. Um, I think even if like, uh, uh if a Colby young goes down, like, what are we going to get from Isaiah Horton? And I think you, I, I mean, going through the defense, like if Francisco Malagoa at middle linebacker goes down, that would be a huge problem. If Cameron Kitchens or James Williams goes down, um, I think that would kind of be scary too. Uh, even at corner, like I think we're kind of close to even still having Damari Brown as a true freshman, having to kind of get onto the field and and kind of go get thrown into the fire. So I just don't, I don't, I I like like just the way the roster's trending, and I do think the roster overall is better, but I still don't think we're at a point where it's deep enough where you can kind of, I don't know, I, I maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong, but I still think that that they're still too thin at too many spots where yeah. like the backup isn't just where it needs to be for again. And I, and I say that because 2023 is so important, right? Like, you know, I still think that, you know, even with a couple injuries, this team could still perform or whatever, but I think Miami is, I think so urgently needs to win. And I don't know, maybe I'm exaggerating, but I think they, I think it's extremely urgent that the 2023 goes the way that it needs to go. Um, you know, just especially just like, let's say within the state, like, you know, Florida states, the program's trending in the right way. They're recruiting at an extremely high level. You want to make, you want to stay on a trajectory where you're going to be on like, again, from a recruiting standpoint, you want to be able to attract the best possible talent that you can attract. So I think that just getting it done in 2023 would go such a long way towards uh, Miami, just being able to recruit at the level that uh, they want to recruit. You're seeing right now where it's still a really good class, but it's getting a little bit stagnant. Uh, a couple top targets are going other places. So I think you need to kind of get back on that momentum train where people are looking at Miami again and seeing like this is the place that they kind of want to be at. Uh, so I, I, that's why I guess I'm still a little bit concerned about that. But um, I guess we'll see. I mean, it's that's kind of unpredictable and hard to kind of, you know, talk about i guess until it happens so um that's just probably my arrow yeah injuries happen in football and i agree like the drop off at some spots from starters to backup still isn't where it needs to be um i think the starters are you know in a better spot but that just takes time with with talent acquisition so i agree they get they do need some injury good luck in, in some ways this year
Um, for me, you know, I, I am, I am curious just that, um, playmaking ability on the outside receivers. I, I am still kind of monitoring that situation. Um, because look, this def this offense wants to throw it deep. And, uh, so you gotta have guys that can go out and win balls. And I think Colby young does a decent enough job of that. I think the other side, there needs to be some separation, whether that is Jacoby George or Tyler Harrell. One of those guys needs to step up and take it. And uh, I'm not convinced that's necessarily happened yet. Um, again, they both flashed. They both made plays. Um, but they've also had some moments of struggles. So want to see one of those two guys at least separate from the pack uh, at that other outside receiver spot. We'll get out of here on this. We'll do a recruiting minute, but last thing on the team, Gabby, I'm curious, like after one week, have you changed your big picture thoughts on this team? Like for me, I kind of view this as like an eight and four team. I'm kind of hoping like Miami can be a competitive eight and four. So those four losses, hopefully they're competitive games, right? But eight and four, you show progress. I think you can still squeak in a, a top 10 recruiting class with an eight and four. I think Roster level, the you know, again, if injuries don't happen, which they're going to happen, but uh, from a starter talent level, nine and three, I think is on the table. They need some injury luck. And I think they also need everything to gel together seamlessly for that to happen. So like you got new coordinators, you got new assistants all over the place. You got new transfer guys all over the place. All that has to come together seamlessly. For me to see nine and three happening. Um, so like my hope, I guess, eight and four, a competitive eight and four. Have you changed your big picture thoughts on the team here after just one week? I haven't. And I, I just think that there's so much, like, I think eight and four, like, I mean, I feel like that's been the mark. It's still my mark too. Like that's still the number that I feel like they need to get to as far as just like the total wins that they accumulate. Um, again, and obviously you want to look good even in those, I mean, you just, again, you want to be competitive in those losses. I don't want to say look good right. in the losses. Uh, you want to make sure that those are four quarter ball games and, you know, maybe one or a few don't fall your way, whatever the case is. But I think you need to put yourself in position to win more than eight games. But I mean, if that's the end result, I think that's a good spot. But at the same, I, I, I also, I think I also recognize that I feel like this team is to an extent kind of unpredictable just because of all of the changes. You have both the coordinator changes, massive personnel overhaul. Um, you know, so I, I, it's, I, I still feel like, you know, this team can be surprising, maybe one, honestly, one way or the other, like, I don't know, necessarily know which way I feel again, I feel better about this, the overall talent on the team and the start, especially the starting level talent, uh, where eight and four, I think is just kind of like what they need to hit. But I think overall, I'm still kind of just like, if a lot of these guys we're talking about, like we haven't really even seen in like live action, right? Like we, I mean, some of them into maybe in a limited, in a limited way, but I think that there's so much new, uh, there's so much to kind of still learn about this roster and what this team is that, you know, I, I can't kind of shift my mark because I feel like that's just what I feel like needs to happen, but where it kind of shakes out, like I still feel like that's still like it could, it can kind of go a couple different directions, hopefully uh, in a good way. All right, quick recruiting minute. We all know recruiting never stops. Uh, fall camp has been in full swing, so we've definitely been in team mode. Uh, but there is some quick recruiting stuff to touch on, Gabby. Take this wherever you want to take it. 
Yeah, you know, of course, it feels like recruiting has been a little bit slow, you know, especially now in August with the dead period. But a couple uh, top Miami targets are uh, making commitments this week. Uh, Colin Simmons, the five-star edge rusher out of Texas. Uh, he has a top three. I believe he's announcing on August 10th, which is Thursday. Uh, it seems like that's Thursday. Um, uh, Texas, LSU, Miami are in that top three. Uh, I think he's going to one of those two SEC schools. It seems like there's a some source wars brewing between uh, the Texas side and the LSU side. It seems like there's a good amount of confidence coming out of uh, both of those programs, not as much coming out of Miami right now. Uh, I think he's been pretty public with the fact that he wants to play in the ACC. I think Miami kind of making that top three. Uh, again, you don't. I, there's no second place finishes or, I mean, I guess in this case, probably third place finishes in recruiting. But I do think Miami did a lot to put themselves in a really good spot with Colin Simmons. And I think he does like the program a lot and sees the value of potentially playing under Jason Taylor. I just don't personally see this recruitment falling this way. Um, you know, just considering the other program, again, two SEC schools in competition. I think that that ultimately matters. Uh, I've heard LSU. I've gotten more LSU buzz than maybe Texas buzz just from from my end. But again, those those people in Austin feel like they can kind of um, come out, you know, through the back door here and, and make something happen. So uh, curious. I'm honestly very curious to see which way that kind of ends up falling. Uh, another one is a Sendre Afua, the uh, top two, four, seven interior offensive lineman out of the state of Washington. He took an official visit to Miami at the end of the summer. Uh, top three of Texas A&M, Utah, and Miami. I do not expect Miami to be the pick right now. It's not, it sounds like this is a Texas A&M and Utah uh, battle going on right now, which is unfortunate. He's obviously been one of the top Miami targets on the board, especially on the interior offensive line. Um, I think, again, I, I think Utah is a sneaky one in this recruitment, and I think they've done a good job to this point. But Texas A&M, I think, got the last word unless he got to Utah like on Sunday or something like that, Sunday or Monday. But um, I expect one of those two schools to be the choice. Not sure where it's going to fall right now. I just do not feel like it's going to be the hurricane. So uh, this is why we're talking about winning, right? How This is why I keep talking about how important it is to win in 2023 because – uh, a lot of these targets are coming off the board and it seems like, uh, you know, a lot of some, maybe some of these big names, uh, Miami's been in those top threes has been in those top fives, but, uh, you know, again, recruiting, you have to finish first and Miami's not finishing first for some of the, the big, big names that they've been chasing. And I think, uh, ultimately that five and seven season is kind of lingering like a, a dark cloud over, over the program right now. And I think, uh, you know, if you improve your status, uh, your perception nationally by getting it done on the field in 2023, I think you put yourself back in a lot of those conversations. And, you know, even despite some of those losses, Miami still closed out the cycle very strong last year, uh, flipped three guys, you know, Oklahoma, North Carolina, and Michigan between Caleb Spencer, Joshua Horton, Collins of Chiampong. You got Mark Fletcher there at the end after a long time Ohio State commit. Uh, commitment. You got Ruben Bain. You got Damari ba Brown. Guys, we're talking about now at the very end of that cycle. So I still think there's a lot of time left on the clock. Maybe there's not a lot of juice or momentum right now. But uh, again, I think if things turn around on the field, if the on-field product, um, you know, is is more exciting, uh, you know, more um, attractive, I, I think that Miami's gonna, you know, find a way to pick up some more momentum and maybe uh you know, flip that spatula out, you know, as we get closer to the early signing period, which is still, you know, good, a little over four months away. So still plenty of time left on the clock, but yeah, this season's very, very important. All right. Recruiting never stops. Um, we'll get at it here on that. want to highlight too, if you're listening to this on Monday, 60% uh, off annual VIP pass still available till midnight tonight. Uh, that runs you 
a year's subscription for 43 bucks. And then that uh, deal is over on Tuesday. So hop on that if you get the itch to join at the VIP level. Uh, and we'll now look forward to week two of camp. Um, scrimmages are coming this week and full pads is coming this week. So there will be movement, plenty to react to. Appreciate everyone for listening. Thank you again to all our sponsors. And until next time, take care.